The Old Testament lesson comes from Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Hear the word of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The New Testament lesson comes from Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 40. Hear the word of the Lord. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was sick, I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are the members of my family, you did it to me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. We've been in the series on means of grace. And this is the term that John Wesley, founder of modern day United Methodism, used to, uh, to talk about spiritual disciplines. And I, I appreciate the expression means of grace more than the term spiritual discipline, uh, because one, the term discipline uh, takes me back to whenever you know, my dad made me go out into the yard and pick out my own switch. Uh, but number two, because, <laughs> because the expression means of grace reminds us that, that, to, that God is seeking that relationship with us in everything that we do. And so we've been talking about how Wesley uh, kind of subdivided these means of grace into four different categories. Individual works of piety, communal works of piety, individual works of mercy, and communal works of mercy. And all four of these are so uh, inherently important into the, in the life of the church because Wesley understood that in our faith journey, the individual is inseparable from the communal and vice versa. And that piety, our devotion, is inseparable from mercy, the way that we act in the world. That's something that we need to understand in our faith journey. 
And even more importantly, in, uh, as a part of our faith journey, that these means are the ways, the paths in which we experience the grace of God. So last week we were talking about communal piety, and we elaborated more on it in our Lenten lunch. Uh, in communal piety, we really looked at this expression called Christian conferencing, in which, uh, in which it was encouraged in the early days of the Methodist movement that everyone be a part of a small group, what they call class meetings, a group of about 12 people that would meet together regularly and encourage each other in faith. And that each person be involved in a band meeting, an even smaller group, an intimate group of about three or four people who would get together and ask each other the hard questions and, and, and encourage one another on toward uh, what we call Christian perfection or sanctification, holy living. Now, Wesley himself was a part of a band meeting. Of course, you know, you've got to walk the walk, practice what you preach. Uh, but his band meeting uh, was, was quite peculiar. So peculiar that the people who saw this band meeting in action, and yes, they did take action, they started referring to them as the Holy Club. This is meant to be a derogatory expression, right? Uh, they had other names for them as well, but the Holy Club was the one that really stuck. And that's because the way that they were living their lives, the way that they acted as this small group of people, um, was in practice reflecting a holy life. And this included things like they were gathered together to uh, to study scriptures as well as the uh, uh, the classics and philosophers. They would meet together for Holy Communion regularly. And not only that, they took food to poor families. They visited lonely people in prison. And they taught orphans how to read. This is just a couple of examples of the way that what they were doing in their piety, their devotion, their faith journeys, became an expression in their outward journeys. What this group understood was that uncomfortable line from James chapter 2 that says, faith without works is dead. Right? They took to heart that passage in Micah 6, 8, seek justice, love kindness. Other translations say love mercy and walk humbly with your God, that our faith journey is one that is meant to be expressed in our relationships with other people, the way we interact with our community. In other words, what they understood most intimately was that their faith was utterly pointless if it did not make a difference. Now, the last time that I had the opportunity to speak with the South Alabama Wesley Foundation, they heard me uh, talk about James chapter 2, and so they might be thinking, this is all I ever talk about, uh, which is perfectly fine with me. If that's all I ever talk about, then that's exactly where I need to be because, you know, the church is over 2,000 years old, and I can't understand it, but we still have poverty as a real experience in our world. Where is the church? Because the church is over 2,000 years old, and we still have human trafficking and slavery in our world. Where is the church been? Because the church is over 2,000 years old, and there are hundreds, if not thousands, of churches in the Mobile County, and homelessness is still rampant. 
and people still go hungry. Where has the church been? My goodness, this could be the only thing I ever preach on, and it probably should be. Because acts of mercy define a Christian far more than their attendance at church. So let's make this a little bit more participatory. What does it mean to hold the title Christian? What does it mean? To have accepted Christ to as have, your Savior. Yes, to have accepted Christ as your Savior. What else? What other, what other definitions can we attach to that title, Christian? To follow the example of Christ, absolutely. Other thoughts? Yeah, so uh, the, the term Christian, uh, speaking of the Holy Club, the term Christian was another derogatory term uh, that became adopted uh, by early Christians that meant little Christ, right? Christian, little Christ, one who is like Christ. That's what that title meant in its inception. A person who, who reflects the example of Christ, a person who acts just like Christ did, to be like Christ. Now, titles are important to people, uh, particularly once you get into the life of the church. You start having Reverend this, Reverend Doctor this, and you start putting all the extra letters after your name and on the business cards. Titles are important to people, and, and you can really tell a lot about what's important to a person by where they place their time, their energy, and their resources, particularly their money. Uh, for example, if you want to know what's really important to somebody, look in their checkbook. Uh, titles are one of those things that we invest a lot of our time, energy, and resources into acquiring. Uh, but there are many other things as well, things like comforts, things like uh, experiences, etc., etc. But But let's turn this question once more to you all. Where did Jesus place his time, energy, and resources? The people, yes, absolutely, the people. And if Jesus, the one whom we're supposed to reflect, the one whose example we're supposed to adhere to, the one who we are supposed to be like, if Jesus invested in people more than everything else, why do we not do the same? Wesley believed that our experience with the grace of God inevitably leads to an outpouring of that same grace to other people. And here's what I mean. Will I make a mess? You... Metaphor for you, at least. Jesus, the grace of God, metaphor at least. What's his understanding was that your experience with the grace of God, God pouring into you, would fill you up. But guess what? The grace of God has. It has no limits. And so not only would it fill you up, would start overflowing. And the closer you get to God, the more that grace overflows and pours out from you. Your neighbor, another person in our community, 
who, for one reason or another, hasn't been drawing uh, near to God in the same way you have, or has been hurting to a point where their cup is no longer full. What could it be like to have the grace of God, ah, God blocking this, pouring into you so that it pours out into somebody else until their cup overflows? That's Wesley's understanding of the grace of God, that our experiences with God inevitably lead us into others. And that's what acts of mercy is all about. And that's what uh, James chapter 2 is getting at. Faith without works is dead. What, what he's saying isn't that, isn't that you, know, you can earn your way into heaven. It's that the abundance of faith because of the grace of God within us is going to have to pour out from us. We just need to be close enough to the next person to start filling up their cup from out of the flow. Right. So, in these individual acts of mercy, uh, this particular means of grace, uh, this includes things like doing good works, visiting the sick, visiting those in prison, feeding the hungry, giving generously to the needs of others, and uh, one of Wesley's most notorious expressions, earning, saving, giving, which is earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. It's these acts of doing for others. And by these actions, we experience the grace of God. How, you might ask? Well, if while he was here on earth, Jesus spent more time with the hurting people rather than in spaces of worship, then it stands to reason that Jesus is still going to those same people, the hurting the least, the lost, the lonely, the unloved. And if we want to be closer to Jesus, then let us go to where Jesus can be found among those people, the hurting, the least, the lost, the unloved, the lonely. And if we want to be closer to Jesus, then let us do as Jesus taught us and his disciples, which is to love on the least of these. For as we do to the least of these, we do to Jesus. So our Matthew passage today, which uh, Crystal so eloquently read for us, uh, this comes at a moment when the disciples are asking Jesus about when the end times will be. When the end times will be. And Jesus tells them that they don't need to worry about the when of the end times. What they need to worry about is the now. The end times, future, now, present. We can only exist in the present. You've heard me talk about this way too many times. We can only exist in the present. So why are you worrying about something that's going to be later? Focus on now, Jesus says. Now, people love a good deadline. Me particularly. I'm, a, I'm an, an enormous procrastinator. One of my biggest flaws, I'm an enormous procrastinator. Uh, so I need a deadline in order to actually have me, uh, me accomplish something. If you look at my computer, I have something that's always pulled up that's a list of things that have to be done and when they have to be done. I have to give myself those deadlines. People love a good deadline because they tell us how much time we can spend doing our own thing before we actually need to get some work done. And I think this is why people are still so obsessed with 
when the end of days will be. Because we want to know when so that we can keep doing our own stuff until it gets close enough to that deadline for us to start taking action. But Jesus tells the disciples that it's not about some future date and time, it's about right now. And he asks them, he asks them this challenging question. Would any of you do these things right now? And this is where we get into our passage. He asks them, would you feed the hungry or give a drink to the thirsty? I'll ask you the same question, would you? Would you welcome the stranger and clothe the naked? Would you visit the sick or those in prison? Would you do it right now? Would you get up in the middle of this sermon and walk out the door and go start doing this? Dang, I was hoping somebody would. <laughs> yeah, he, he, in other words, he's asking this question. Would you invest in the people around you right now? Investing in people is what the Christian journey is all about. Because were it not for someone investing in you, I can imagine that you not, might not be in worship today. I am only a pastor and standing right here and talking to you all right now because of those who invested in me. Would you go and invest in someone else? Would you do it right now? What about those at the Wesley Foundation? College years are some of the most neglected phase of life by the church. Because we get to this point where we love pouring into our children and we love pouring into our youth. And then the youth grow up and they go off to college and, and they disappear. Uh, or at least, you know, they're at a different place. And we think, okay, the college can take care of them while they're away. And then they get into their uh, mid to late 20s and they're back and guess what? They don't show up to church. Where was the church whenever they were in those formative years? Even though these years are the most essential for determining if a person will continue to grow in faith, the church kind of neglects the college years far too frequently. But they are here today, letting us know that they want to work with us. Letting us know that they want to work with us if only we went to them first. Would you invest in them, church? Would you do it right now and not wait until some later date when it's more convenient for you? What about the rest of our community? Another participatory question, if you will. Do you think that the least of these exist in our community? See some head nods. What do you think, church? Do the least of these exist in our community? Yes, yes they do. Yes. What about this very street, Mohawk Street, right here out the door? Do you think the least of these are right here on this street? Yes. yes, yes, they are. Yes, they are. And Jesus did not command us to simply go to church and overlook their needs. No, by grace and for grace, we have been called to reach out and in mercy and love on these. So... My challenge for us today, 
my challenge for us this week is to do one, one good deed for someone else this week. That should be a doable challenge. One good deed. That's it, just one. Don't put it off, by the way. Don't wait until Saturday and, and then take care of it. Do it today if you can. Look for ways. You know, there are opportunities at every single turn for us to invest in the life of someone else. For it is by our acts of mercy that we find ourselves engulfed by the grace of God. Our individual and communal acts of piety are wasted if they do not lead to mercy. Can anybody tell me what the mission statement of the United Methodist Church is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, I, I heard the first half of it. To make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Yes! To make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. The church isn't waiting for people to come and transform it. The church is meant to go to the people and transform the world. And we do this by one act kindness at a time. If you, if you run into her, I want you to, to go and find Ann Wilcox after the service. Okay, she's in the back of the nursery right now. Go and find her and ask her to show you the video that she sent to me yesterday. If you can't find her, come to me and I'll show you the video, but I'd rather you go, go find Ann Wilcox, ask her to show you the video that she sent to me yesterday. She'll know what you're talking about. And see for yourselves how investing in one single person at one moment, can make all the difference. So, go invest in the life of another and do it now, church. Let us pray.